Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. You know, expectation setting is extremely important in life. Because expectations minus reality equals disappointment. And I usually tell you all, hey, it's going to be this kind of episode. Or hey, it's going to be that kind of episode. Today's episode is going to be long. Sometimes it's really short. Sometimes it's medium. It's going to be long. Really long. And here's the reason why. I had all of my notes prepared. Because I tried a couple weeks ago to get Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports on the show. And he wasn't able to make it. And I had all my notes ready to go for this week's show. And then Chris Trapasso, it turns out, can make it this time around. Well, I already did all the prep work. I already did all the stuff. All of the ingredients are already pre-portioned in little bowls on the kitchen counter because everything can be a food metaphor. You might as well just go ahead and compile them. You might as well make the daggone casserole. And that's what we're going to do. We've got a lot of things to talk about. And we are going to try to take them one bite at a time. First off, since the last time we spoke, the Bills traded Offensive guard, Cody Ford, to Arizona for a fifth-round pick. And there's a strange dynamic happening in Bill's Mafia when it comes to reaction. On one hand, it's Bean is a wizard. He got a fifth for Cody Ford. On the other hand, it's, well, they kind of missed on that second-round pick. And I'm here to tell you that the answer and what I think the balanced response to this stimulus is, is as always somewhere in the middle. Minimizing a miss is important. The most ideal situation is that you don't miss. The second most ideal situation is that you minimize a miss. And the least desirable situation is that you don't minimize your miss. And you might bristle at the sound of me saying miss. Oh, I don't, I don't really like that. Brandon Bean is perfect. He never misses. No, that's not true. It's okay. Whether it's a miscalculation, a misevaluation, a mistake, whatever it is, it's a miss. But minimizing a miss is part of good decision-making. I made a comment earlier this offseason when Carson Wentz got traded to the Washington Commanders from the Indianapolis Colts. And I said that GM Howie Roseman of the Eagles and GM Chris Ballard of the Colts are excellent at putting out fires they themselves started. And I was kind of doing it tongue-in-cheek. But there's nothing wrong with being able to do that as long as you're not starting too many fires. Otherwise, it's just knowing when to cut bait. It's minimizing the miss. But we can live in that world. It's okay to live in that world. Sometimes we don't want to live in that world 
because we don't want to use the M word. We don't want to say miss. So instead, we focus on the minimization. Oh, Bean got a fifth for Cody Ford. Yes, Bean got a fifth for a guy he spent a borderline first-round pick on. They traded up. It was just outside the top 32. So, yeah, it was a miss. But I can live in that world. I'm okay living in that world. Not missing is better than minimizing your miss, which is better than not minimizing your miss. I can live in a world where I praise the move relative to the end statement, but then criticize the move relative to the first statement. Both of those things are true. It's better than not minimizing. It's better than cutting him and getting nothing for him. It's not as good as hitting on the pick. Both of those things are true. So I live in that world where both of these things are my opinions simultaneously. On one hand, I'm critical of Bean for missing on the pick. I'm critical of the Bills for thinking he was a right tackle. I pounded the table. Pre-draft process, post-draft, that Cody Ford was a guard. We wasted a year of development by putting him at right tackle. So I can be critical of that aspect of the transaction. And then also praise the fact that you got a fifth round pick for a guard when most guards who have proven what Cody Ford has proven, if they get traded, are conditional sevenths. Cody Ford returned the exact same draft pick round as Shaq Mason, which is absurd. Got into it with some Patriots fans on Twitter over the last couple of days because they say, Bruce, you're missing context. No, I'm not. I am familiar with the fact that he was 28 years old, which is, again, not old for a guard. I am aware of what his contract was, which was less than $8 million average annual value for the next two years with no guaranteed money. I am aware that he had injury issues in the past. I am also aware of the fact that he was a top 10 guard and he got traded for the same round pick as Cody Ford. So yes, we can simultaneously be critical of the move relative to not missing on the pick because hitting on high picks is important and also praise the move relative to cutting him loose and getting nothing for him. We live in the middle and that's completely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. One of the things I wanted to talk about when it comes to narratives about the Bills preseason game and where the Bills find themselves right now would be better framed with a story. I am going to tell you a story. I had a man one time tell me this story and I'm going to repeat it to you. And he said, Bruce, there was a man one time who was digging through his backyard and he came across a lamp. This lamp looked very old. It looked very dusty. It was rusted. It was grimy, but he thought there was something there. So he decided he was going to clean off this lamp. And as he rubbed the lamp, a genie came out and said, my friend, thank you for rescuing me. In exchange for you rescuing me from your backyard, I will grant you a singular wish. The man thought long and hard about what he wanted to ask the genie for. He had been a a lonely man. He wasn't very popular with the opposite sex. And so he came to the genie later on and said, genie, I have decided what I want my wish to be. And the genie said, okay, now be very careful because you only get this one shot. The man nodded like he understood and he told the genie his wish. The genie looked at him for a second and said, okay, well, I will grant you your wish effective immediately. And the man immediately felt different. He felt tingly all over. He felt really good. He felt attractive. So he went out to the bar that night and he was convinced that he was going to be able to pick up a woman. And he did. And he walked in there brimming with confidence and absolutely struck out. He just bombed. And he did not understand because he thought he had wished for the appropriate thing to get 
his goal accomplished. Disheartened, the man left the bar and started walking home. As he was walking home, he passed a farm. He walked up and said, you know what? I'm going to go look at the animals for a second because that'll make me happy. And as he walked up to the fence of the farm, all of a sudden he looked in the distance and he saw birds, a big cluster of birds coming towards him. They were flying directly at him. He started yelling and started running away, but the birds were gaining on him. Eventually, the birds engulfed him. They were everywhere. They seemed to be stuck to him. He could not get them off him. And so he fought through and there's birds everywhere and they're stuck to him and they, he can't, ah, he's fighting. And he finally makes his way into his house, having stumbled all the way home. And he grabs his lamp and he rubs the lamp and the genie comes out and the guy says, what did you do to me? He says, I made you a chick magnet. The moral of the story is that words have meaning and we need to make sure we use the right ones at the right times. Otherwise, we could be in trouble. And the word I want to talk about today is certainty. Certainty is the word. The title of this podcast is Less Certain. Because it's important that we recognize when we're talking about narratives and the Buffalo Bills and things we think we think or things we think we know or things we know we know that certainty is a spectrum. When you say the phrase, I am certain, what you mean is I am 100% certain. But if you'll notice, there are adverbs that you can put in front of the word certain. I am reasonably certain. I am moderately certain. All these are phrases you can use to qualify your level of certainty. And the reason that is, is because certainty is a spectrum, not a binary. It's not I'm certain or I'm not certain. There's a spectrum between 100% certainty and 0% certainty. When you say I am not certain, what you mean is anything less than 100. 99.9999999999% certainty is still not certain. Because if you say I am certain, you are 100% certain. Here are some things about the bills that I am less or more certain on after watching multiple preseason games. The first one has been a popular topic on Buffalo Bills social media recently, and that is I am less certain that O.J. Howard will take the second most snaps of any tight end on the roster over the course of the 2022 season. Yeah, I liked how he blocked. I liked how he blocked before. But man, he looks slow. Really, really slow. I went back and watched the All-22, and I was like, oh, goodness gracious. He really, really looks slow. And that shouldn't be a shock. Torn Achilles injuries are things that we need to talk more about in the NFL community. Because it seems to me like we always do this ACLs, ACLs, ACLs. Oh, no, it's the dreaded ACL. But people come back from ACLs really, really well. There are plenty of skill position players who never come back from Achilles tears. Go look at the history of running backs who have come back from Achilles tears. It is almost a death knell to your career from a probability standpoint to suffer an Achilles injury. And OJ Howard looks really, really slow. Does that mean he's going to not make the team? No, I still think he's going to make the team. I am less certain than I was. I was 100% certain that OJ Howard was going to take the second most snaps at tight end on the team in 2022. More than Reggie Gilliam, who's a tight end. More than Quentin Morris. More than Tommy Sweeney. I was 100% sure. Now I'm not. Now I'm like 70% sure. Would I still bet on it? Sure, if I was a betting person. I'm, I'm not a betting person. But I would if I was. But I'm less certain. People seem to be all freaking out about that on Twitter. But words have meaning. I said I was less certain. I am less certain. And I stand by that. And I think there's a possibility. I can see a universe where Reggie Gilliam outsnaps O.J. Howard. I can see that. 
if you'd like to say, well, Bruce, Reggie Gilliam is listed as a fullback. Okay? I can still see a world where Quentin Morris or Tommy Sweeney, whichever one of the people, I, I would be inclined to lean toward Quentin Morris right now, who end up being TE2 slash 3, end up with more snaps than O.J. Howard over the course of the year. I can see a possibility. I don't think it's likely, but I can see it. I can see a path. And previously, I didn't see the path at all. So it's something to keep an eye on. I'm not making a take. This is not a, well, this is what's going to happen. These are things I'm feeling about what I'm seeing. These are things I am less certain of. I am also less certain that Spencer Brown will be the starting right tackle for the Buffalo Bills week one because David Quasenberry is still listed ahead of him. And we've got two weeks to go. Like, it's a real thing now. This entire offseason, I've been operating under the assumption that Spencer Brown was going to be the right tackle for this team week one, and it was only going to take him a little while to catch up. I don't know if that's true. Sean McDermott said he was going to play the starters. He did. David Questenberry was the starting right tackle, and he looked good. I am less certain now. I was 100% sure up until the last couple of weeks. Now I'm like 40% sure that Spencer Brown will be the starting right tackle week one. I do think he'll eventually be the starting right tackle of this team. But as far as week one goes, I'm starting to think if I was a betting man, I would bet on Questenberry. Here's some things I'm more certain about. Because it's not just about being less certain, it's also about being more certain. I am more certain that Neil, Matakavich, and Taiwan Jones are safe because they didn't play. They didn't play at all. I think that when you do that, you want to make sure that you can see players like Isaiah Hodgins play special teams. That's the reason why you don't want to do it. Also, you saw the effect. The kick return team was arguably the worst part of the game for the Buffalo Bills against the Denver Broncos. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Saran Neal, Tyler Matakavich, and Taiwan Jones weren't playing. I know if you love Raheem Blackshear, you're going to get mad. But Taiwan Jones is very, 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 very likely to be RB4 on this team. So I am more certain about those things over the last couple of weeks. I'm also more certain that McKenzie's the starting slot. I said on this show a couple weeks ago that I'll be ready when Jamison Crowder is healthy and playing and Jamison Crowder is healthy and playing and Isaiah McKenzie is not because he's the starting slot receiver for this team. Now I know, oh, Bruce, you're late to the game. Well, I only do one show a week, okay? Cut me some slack. Only do one show a week and I can't really do more than that. I do food for thought on Fridays, but that's a whole different animal, an entirely different animal. So those are two things I'm more certain about, along with two things I'm less certain about. We're going to get into emails, but one of the questions that I got recently was about having players on my pod. It was about having a player on my show, having discussions with players on my show, because I really don't have guests that often. It's not a very common thing for me to have guests. And if they are guests, they're media members or they're other content creators, but they're never athletes. There's a reason for this. Having relationships with those players can grant you perspective. And that's awesome because you get that perspective from the information you gain from the people inside the building. But that info is gained from people inside through those relationships and those relationships affect objectivity and willingness to be critical. There's an information brokerage part of that that I'm not interested in. If I have a relationship with Tremaine Edmonds and he gives me information as far as what's going on inside the Buffalo Bills, I can be a smarter Buffalo Bills fan and I could probably be a better content creator because I have info that is more difficult to get. But... I'm going to want to make sure I protect that relationship. Subconsciously, I may be much less willing to criticize Tremaine Edmonds because now I need that relationship 
to keep the flow of information going. This is why people like Adam Schefter are frequently referred to as information brokers rather than journalists. He's an information broker. That's what he does. He specializes in the exchange of info. But analysis is always going to be framed that way. You can always tell when an insider, an information broker, gets information directly from an agent. They're going to want to protect their relationship with that agent. So they're not going to be critical of that player or that agent. It's just the way it works. And I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't ever want that. And if that means I get to be less informed because I'm missing out on information that I would otherwise be able to obtain, I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that. And this is important. This is really important. I need you to hear me. I am not being critical of those who do that. It's just different. It's not better or worse. I made a call. I'm not interested in that. I just made a call. This is not, oh, Bruce is bashing everyone who has players on their pods. I am not doing that. I just made the call because you have to make a call. And I don't want the temptation of intellectual dishonesty. I don't even want the temptation of it. I don't even want to be put in a position where I can wonder to myself, am I sure I want to say that? Am I sure I want to say that? It might damage my relationship with the person that I need to get the information from. I'd rather just not deal with it. And if I miss because I'm lacking information that I would otherwise be able to obtain, I accept that. I will take my L graciously. It is a conscious decision. And people who have players on their pods, good, awesome. I am not being critical. For the third time, I am not criticizing those people. But I wanted to give an honest answer as to why I don't do it. I'm not saying I'll never do it, but it's highly improbable that I won't. And it's even more highly improbable that it will ever be a frequent thing. So I want to make sure I talked about that because I've had somebody ask about it. And I thought it was a good opportunity to outline my stance on it. Two real quick things before we go to break. First off, Evan, I saw your almighty take about Josh Allen and the Bills offense dominating the Broncos. And it turns out that it actually happened. His exact words were, it'll look like Aragorn summoning the dead men of Dunharrow to storm the Pelennor fields. So, Lord of the Rings reference. But I got it after I recorded the show last time around. Christopher Nixon said, is there any world in which Terrell Bernard is a Milano replacement and Milano is a Poyer replacement? No. Milano's not a safety anymore. That's not what he does. I would, I would be very, very surprised to see positional changes at this stage in Milano's career. Not only that, they paid him as a linebacker because of what he did as a linebacker. I would be very, very, very surprised. We are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. I've got somebody to talk to. Mr. Trabasso coming up after the break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I mentioned that this was going to be a little bit of a longer pod. I did an entire pod, and then we took a commercial break, and now I'm going to do an entire pod again. And the reason I'm going to do that is because we've got things to talk about. And I am here with friend of the show and previous guest, Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports. Mr. Trapasso, thank you so much for being here, man. Thanks for having me, Bruce. And honestly, I'm like the perfect guest to have on a longer podcast, two episodes in one, because I'm pretty long-winded. I like to dive deep, go down rabbit holes, think probably or overthink about a lot of theories when it comes to quarterback development, uh, draft prospect development. So if if this was your intention to have a podcast that was longer, you you got the perfect guest for tonight. I would love to be able to tell you that this was all part of a master plan, but in reality, <laughs> I just, I did all of my note prep. And then after I was done with that, I was like, Hey, how are you feeling? You, I wasn't expecting you to be like, yeah, let's do it this week. And I was like, Oh crap. I already did all my prep for the pod. And now I got a guest and I'm just going to do double pod. So we did a whole pod and then we're going to take a commercial break, a whole nother pod. It's going to be great. 
But long-winded has met long-winded. I just told a story before the commercial break about a genie and a dude that ended with the punchline chick magnet. So I am all about, I am all about the long-windedness. It was very important that I get that joke in. Nobody laughed. I can almost guarantee it. But I'll tell you something that's absolutely no laughing matter, and that is quarterback development in the NFL. How's that for a pivot? And I want to talk about the Josh Allen effect because huge. we have multiple second-year quarterbacks. And it almost feels like regardless of how a quarterback plays in his first year, it doesn't seem to ever stifle any optimism for year two. Zach Wilson yep. was objectively one of the worst quarterbacks in football last year by almost any measurement, but it didn't stop people from being all on board with his breakout in year two with the additions that the Jets made around him, regardless of what they did with their offensive line, which was not probably enough. Justin Fields, people are all on board with Justin Fields breaking out year two, completely departed from whatever the Bears may or may not have done. It almost seems like it doesn't matter. So the first thing I want to ask you about quarterback development is, is year one almost like a gimme for pretty much everybody? I mean, with the exception of Josh Rosen recently, it's almost like everybody gets at least two. Do they basically just set fire to it? Because if Zach Wilson year one isn't bad enough to make you go, I don't know, right? Then who is at that point? Yeah, that's a great question. I think to start this off, we're talking about fan bases here. Like I think the Jets fan base is still like clinging to hope and and excited because the Jets drafted a first round wide receiver. They added some pieces, um, CJ Uzama to the tight end group. I think more of that hype is centered locally around, you know, in Chicago, for example, with Justin Fields, uh, in the New York City area with the Jets, with Zach Wilson. In general, though, I think if we're really talking about the actual development of those quarterbacks, you need to see, I don't want to say substantial flashes as a rookie, but you need to see some flashes. And we go back to Josh Allen in 2018. You certainly know, Bruce, your listeners know that it started off ugly. Like he did not look like a starting caliber quarterback. His first, what, three or four starts. It was that game against the Texans where he got injured. was on the shelf for a couple weeks. Derek Anderson started. After that, down the stretch, making some big time throws down the field under pressure to Robert Foster to throw out kind of an old school name at this point. We saw those flashes from Josh Allen. His running um, was outstanding as a rookie. So going into year two for him, and then now what we know from Josh Allen, the quarterback that he is today, the superstar, you know, MVP candidate, I think that rookie season it wasn't just a gimme. That if we saw the same Josh Allen that we saw for the first three or four weeks throughout the course of his rookie year, there shouldn't have been as much hype as there was. And there really wasn't that much going into year two for him. And I don't think he would be the quarterback that he was today. So for Zach Wilson, for even Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, who really didn't flash very much at all. I think, again, it's more local than what I would say, hey, like if you had to put a percentage on the chances that Zach Wilson or Justin Fields are, are going to become Josh Allen-level quarterbacks, I think just after what they showed in year one, it's significantly lower than what I would have said about Josh Allen's chances of becoming an elite quarterback after what he showed, especially down the stretch that had plenty of flashes in his rookie campaign. Josh Allen against the Packers year one but is so almost indistinguishable from the Josh Allen that you see now. It was yeah. really, really bad. And that's a game where if you are someone who came into the draft going, I don't know about Josh Allen, you walked away from the Packers game feeling bad, feeling really bad. But they all had first years. None of their teams pulled a Kyler Murray on them. And so they all came back for year two. So what I want you to do is your confidence level rank from most confident to least confident. The quarterbacks from last year's class, and we're going to throw in Davis Mills here. We're going to include Davis Mills. He we're was the best do... rookie quarterback last year. Oh, I so really, I really better think than Mac Jones, I, you think? He was better. Well, it wasn't super scientific, and I have someone with the scouting grade book. That's my grading system that I use and I sell. Um, a bunch of different analytical things. Like I like to have something quantifiable when I'm evaluating. Didn't have this super down to a science last year, but last year I did 
first and second year quarterback grades where I graded their individual performances every single week, watched every single drop back. I didn't like grade in, you know, every single throw and then combine it into a cumulative grade, but I would watch all their throws, give that and, and all their drop backs, scrambles, sacks, all that designed runs, give each game a letter grade. And then I averaged them out. Davis Mills came slightly ahead or came out slightly ahead of Mac Jones last season. So I think we absolutely need to include Davis Mills, even though he wasn't a first round pick. So quick plug here. I have the scouting grade book. I have it. I fiddled with it last year during the uh, NFL draft. Mr. Trapasso was nice enough to uh, have me sample it. Yeah, I wanted you to exactly. That's what I want. And uh, so just so you know, you can find that you can go to uh, at Chris Trapasso on Twitter and he has a, he has a, a note there where you can go and get it. So just quick plug there. I Thank want you. to go through those group, those groups with you. I want to yeah. do that. So start from most confident and go down to least confident as far as it goes, what we're going to scientifically put as the confident in right is Breakout. Now, however you want to define breakout, you can define breakout however you want. But that's what we're doing. We're going to use a common word for all of these quarterbacks. How confident are you that they will, quote unquote, break out? You can define that however you'd like, but confidence from most confident to least confident when it comes to the second year quarterbacks in the NFL in 2022. Okay, I'm going to start with Trevor Lawrence. And I know that he kind of would fit into that category with Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. He was just not very good. I do think later in the season, it wasn't to the caliber of Josh Allen or the frequency of rookie year Josh Allen, but there were flashes. And I think I'm going to give him almost like a Jared Goff with Jeff Fisher uh, pass in terms of the coaching environment, the coaching situation, uh, having Urban Meyer as his head coach. And I get a lot of people have said, hey, like that's being overblown. But really, once Urban Meyer was fired, Trevor Lawrence got noticeably better. His stats, just watching the film, he was just more confident. And I think Doug Peterson, maybe not a great coach, but I think Doug Peterson runs a pretty quarterback-friendly system in that he's going to utilize play action a lot. That's going to give Lawrence a lot more open throwing windows. He's going to get him on the move. So even if the offensive line in Jacksonville isn't great, uh, he's not going to have to deal with pressure on those plays nearly as much. And I just really believe in, in Trevor Lawrence's overall talent. Like I, I think of all these quarterbacks, which is why he was the first pick Trevor Lawrence has the most, uh, impressive skill set, a skill set that fits in the modern day NFL with what you want, the arm talent, throwing off platform, uh, ad libbing, winning from inside the pocket too, which is of course, probably been the biggest component of Josh Allen's rise to being a superstar. Uh, he's accurate. The arm strength is there. I think he's a pretty tough player for being as tall and spindly as he is. I don't think Jacksonville has done enough to make that offense great or the Jaguars to be like a contender in what's now a loaded AFC. But I'll start with Trevor Lawrence um, just because I, I did see some of those flashes late, which I do think are important. And just the skill set that Doug Peterson can mold is the most impressive of any of these second year guys. It feels like just not having Urban Meyer is good enough to yes. just hope that you're going to see a breakout from Trevor Lawrence. Because even if, like you said, even if you have Christian Kirk as your highest paid wide receiver in the vertical slot role, even if you have Marvin Jones as your de facto number one wide receiver, even if you have Zay Jones as your de facto number two wide receiver, even in that case, just not having Urban Meyer is probably enough. Because mm -hmm. the more you hear coming out of Jacksonville from 2021, the more you realize that you cannot imagine a quarterback who was situationally and culturally put in a worse position to succeed. You assume that number one overall picks are going to go to the worst situation. That's the reason yeah. why they were number one overall pick. It just yeah. feels like a particularly exceptional situation. And I don't mean that in a good way when it comes to Jacksonville in 2021. So you're most confident in Trevor Lawrence. I'd agree with that. He clearly has the most talent. What about the second most confident? Uh, Trey Lance. I mean, I could probably put him there with uh, Trevor Lawrence as well. I, I think Trey Lance is kind of the opposite in terms of situation uh, when it comes to any of the other quarterbacks, really, when we're going to kind of run through this list, even with Trevor Lawrence, that situationally Trey Lance could not be in a better 
environment. And right after they were drafted, those 2021 quarterbacks, uh, I ran an article at, at CBSSports.com just ranking them by situation because everyone says in every podcast and every article is written that you know situation matters more than anything else, especially for quarterback. And I ranked them. Like I went through, took a lot of time to like rank them by offensive line, uh, skill position, talent, play caller, and even defense because I think I'm a big believer, or I am a big believer in if you're a young quarterback and your defense is getting you into holes early in games. It puts you in a situation where you're kind of backed into a corner. You feel a need to press. you got to maybe try that tight window throw to try to get back in the game. It leads to interceptions. And Trevor Lawrence or Trey Lance, excuse me, came out first in every single category. Offensive line with Trent Williams and all the pieces that they had there. Uh, certainly Kyle Shanahan, Devo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk. I even like Jawan Jennings. Uh, and then Kyle Shanahan is, to me, probably the best play caller, play designer in the NFL with what he's done, his long track record of quarterbacks with much lesser talent than Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance is the most naturally talented quarterback that Kyle Shanahan has ever coached. You could throw Matt Ryan near the top of that list, but he certainly does not have the running ability um, of Trey Lance. It's just really the only question mark is this is someone in Lance that we saw one season of at the FCS level. He was good. He didn't. He famously did not throw an interception. There were a few throws that could have been picked that were dropped that kind of got, uh, you know, pushed down uh, by the wayside by a lot of draft analysts. That like, oh, he threw twenty eight touchdowns and no interceptions, but he, there could have been two or three of them in a very run heavy system that used a lot of play action, allowed him to uh, be used in the design run game and utilize on a lot of shot plays because of the arm strength. I think that's how Kyle Shanahan plans to use Trey Lance. I'm just slightly concerned about, okay, you know, he got the the, the Patrick Mahomes-esque redshirt season in San Francisco. Is it going to take him some time to really fully acclimate? Or will he, you know, throw five touchdowns in his first game in the NFL as a starter and throw 50 touchdowns and win the MVP like Patrick Mahomes did? That seems like somewhat unlikely. So I I think we will see a very good Trey Lance this season, but I wouldn't be surprised given how green he is just playing the quarterback position, especially against NFL caliber defenses. And the fact that he only got that experience against, you know, FCS opponents in college for one year, it wouldn't surprise me if it takes him some time to kind of reach that breakout that you're talking about. It almost feels like Josh Allen had an impact on this. And yeah, I remember Kyle Shanahan, after the game where Josh Allen had just beat the brakes off them in prime time. And he talked about having a quarterback like that. He yes. talked about having a quarterback who can go get you a bucket, right? And go do those things. And then a couple months later, they traded up and drafted Trey Lance. <laughs> and <laughs> he made that pick. The, Josh Allen's game made that pick. I think one of the things that I thought was interesting is when they traded up and all the rumors were that it was for Mac Jones. When they traded up, I immediately went back to what Kyle Shanahan said. And I said, Mac Jones doesn't fit any of the things that Kyle Shanahan waxed poetically about when it came to that. So I stuck with the Trey Lance the entire offseason. Nope, it's not not Mac Jones. It's not Mac Jones. It's not Mac Jones. It's Trey Lance. It's Trey Lance. It's Trey Lance. And it turned out to be Trey Lance. But the Josh Allen effect bleeds into kind of some of this stuff. We're going to talk about that a little bit later when it comes to the Josh Allen effect on quarterback development. But it almost feels like this particular pick is almost, almost something that Josh Allen is responsible for. So moving to your... Third quarterback, you are most confident in Trevor Lawrence breaking out. You are right there, but a slight second place with Trey Lance. As far as the third quarterback on this list, who are you going with? I'm going with Davis Mills. And again, I, I think we need to include him in, in any second year quarterback list article. I've I've written about Davis Mills. Again, like I said earlier, he was my highest graded quarterback of, among the rookie passers last season. And I think it's easy when a quarterback isn't a first rounder, we automatically think, Oh, he wasn't really that talented. Like the league didn't think that much of him, especially relative to the five quarterbacks that were picked in the first round in 2021 had Davis Mills stayed at Stanford one more year. He probably would have been, you know, the first quarterback off the board in this past draft class. He was a big recruit at Stanford. He played, I think less than 20 games there. Cause there were some other quarterbacks that uh, beat him out early in his career, but he's got a big arm. He's decently athletic. He's not to the Josh Allen tier. He's not to the Justin Fields tier in terms of his scrambling ability, but he's not a statue in the pocket. And I saw a lot of those flashes from him. Yes, a lot of them were in games where the Texans were losing, but he battled against the Titans late in the season. 
uh, had a couple 300 yard games and he did not have a crazy good environment around him. There's Brandon Cooks there, perennially underrated Brandon Cooks. Uh, Nico Collins, they drafted out of Michigan. Uh, that seems like could be that solid number two, big body wide receiver. Beyond that, it's just not a Texans roster that especially last year um, was very conducive to quarterback success. So I think they've gotten a little bit better on both sides of the ball. Uh, the offensive line is probably still going to be a problem, but I just think natural talent wise and what he showed as a rookie indicates to me that maybe if the Texans are still one of the bottom feeders in the entire NFL, I still think we will see quality play from Davis Mills just based on what he did last year and how much talent he possesses, I think, in his head and in his arm. Do you think that there's enough when it comes to the Texans? Because one of the things we talked about on this show many, many times, specifically when it relates to Josh Allen, was isolating the variable. Knowing yeah. that you don't have a situation where you don't have enough to evaluate properly. When the Buffalo Bills come out the second year and they go, we need to get non-developing players around a developing player. So we're not going to go ahead and draft a bunch of receivers and have developing players around developing players. And you can't isolate the yeah. variable because everything's a, variable. a great point. You go out and you get Cole Beasley, you get John Brown, you get established veterans, you get an established veteran offensive lineman. And you go, listen, I know that they don't have the ceiling of a first round pick in this case, but I need a known quantity so I can evaluate Josh Allen. I need to know at the end of year two, at the end of year three, I need to know if it's him or if it's them. Do the Texans have enough? Is Pep Hamilton and the second-year development of Nico Collins and bringing back Brandon Cooks, which I would be absolutely lambasting the Texans if they had not brought back Brandon Cooks, but is it enough to isolate the variable and know at the end of this year, okay, I know it's going to be Davis Mills, or I know beyond a shadow of out, he's not the guy. Is it enough to evaluate that? Because you know the Texans – are very likely going to have a crack at a, at a quarterback next year. It's a better quarterback class than it was this year. Mm -hmm. They might be drafting high. They need to know if Davis Mills is the dude. It's the same situation that Philadelphia is in. The difference is Philadelphia has done an immaculate job of knowing it to the end of this year if Jalen Hurts is going to be the dude. We're, there's going to be no excuses for Jalen Hurts if he's not the dude. Are we mm -hmm. in? I know it's not the same degree as the Philadelphia Eagles. No one would expect that. But is it enough? Have we crossed the threshold for the Texans as far as, okay, I feel good that if Davis Mills bombs, it's a Davis Mills issue? Yeah, it's probably not quite enough. I still think that we will see mostly quality play from him. And this is weird that I'm on a Bills podcast talking about this because in that rain game against the Bills, Last year, Davis Mills was really, really bad. And he looked like, okay, he's just a random, you know, non-first-round quarterback who's just mm. going to bounce around the league. After that, though, he was he was actually pretty good, honestly. Um, I, I don't think it's quite enough of a, a playmaker collection around him to isolate, like you're saying. And, and exactly what you just pointed out, Bruce, is the blueprint of what the Bills have done and has become the blueprint for quarterback development, the way to distill, hey, we know it's the quarterback either making the plays or or holding back the team. Uh, so I, I think we will see good play from Davis Mills. I think at the end of the season, though, they'll ultimately say, hey, maybe we'll keep him to be in a quarterback battle with a rookie first rounder that will start the summer off by saying, yeah, Davis Mills is our guy to ultimately like want him to be beaten out by that highly drafted first round pick. Um, or, you know, Davis Mills could be traded and, and find himself in a legitimate quarterback competition on another team. I think he will prove this season that he is a capable starter in the NFL that still has some upside because he's relatively young. Okay. Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Davis Mills, who's next on the list? We're starting to get into the I'm not very sure about this person part of the list. Am I right? Yeah. Let me make sure I'm not stupidly forgetting. So Davis Mills would be the sixth quarterback in that draft class. I don't want to like leave someone out. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, and then Mills. Okay. So we've done Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Davis Mills. After that, um, it's tough because like you mentioned, I, I would kind of almost group the last three in that not super confident about. I, I'll say it like this, just to maybe uh, shorten this super long podcast for you. I would say Justin Fields has the most natural talent and to tie everything back to Josh Allen, he's the closest in terms of physical ability to Josh Allen, the arm strength, 
Uh, maybe the fact that he's not in year two, like Josh Allen, someone that's going to read coverages and make decisions as fast as Drew Brees did early in, or late in his career, um, but can get away with some throws that are late because the arm strength is high end. He can lean on his legs if he doesn't like what he sees, and I'm fine with that for a young quarterback. Um, and then Zach Wilson kind of has those abilities too. I, I think people are overhyping the Jets a little bit. I'm concerned about the offensive line. I honestly would put Mac Jones last. And that doesn't mean that I think Mac Jones is going to be a terrible quarterback. But if you're asking which quarterback could break out, and that based on what the rookie quarterbacks did last year, they were all pretty bad. I mean, outside of Mac Jones, in terms of statistically, who can break out and take that next step and kind of enter into that tier maybe right below the elite quarterbacks that could get you to a playoff game and maybe even win a playoff game early in the, in their career. I don't know if we're ever going to see Mac Jones take a discernible step forward. I think that was why the Patriots drafted him, that he had a high floor and he was going to make quick decisions. He was going to be accurate underneath, but the scrambling ability is not there. The arm talent is certainly not there. Now, I do think, and this is what I said during the pre-draft process, I think there still is room for a quarterback who is like Drew Brees, that doesn't have a big arm, that isn't super mobile, that can win and be a good quarterback in the NFL. But you need to be like on the Drew Brees spectrum or close to Drew Brees when it comes to accuracy, coverage reading, pre-snap, understanding of blitzes and disguise. And I don't think Mac Jones is that type of quarterback. I think he will be a middle-of-the-road starter in his second season. And I really am curious how the Patriots will view that going forward, especially having a quarterback at that point at the end of the season that's entering year three, Bill Belichick being like 70 years old. Like, How will they view the future of their quarterback position? Because we're not going to see a bad Mac Jones that completely flames out, but in this kind of renaissance of these young quarterbacks, that are kind of taking over some of the, the old guard at the quarterback position. I just can't envision Mac Jones entering into that group with Burrow and Herbert. And I guess in a, in a way, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, you know, under 27 years old, I don't think he has the natural ability and certainly not the skill position talent around him. Um, and maybe even the offensive line to be that breakout guy. So I would say fields, then maybe Zach Wilson. And then last in terms of guys, most likely, to break out in year two, I would put Mac Jones. Well, you know, they had the offensive line. They just decided to trade Shaq Mason for a fifth. And now exactly. apparently they're thinking about trading Isaiah Wynn. So weird. I don't, I don't understand what's happening there with the Patriots. I, I don't, you, you, you had a good offensive line and I don't understand why you didn't love it. The way let me finish one more thing about, yeah, I, I totally agree. And if they trade Isaiah Wynn, I know they brought back Trent Brown. I, I would be completely flabbergasted by that. Let me say one other thing, and it, it goes back to that uh, young quarterback grades article. If I've said this before on this podcast, I apologize, but maybe a new listener. Uh, so in doing that article, what what I loved about it was that I got like great insight on the, not the entire league, but you know, eight to 10 teams that were starting a young quarterback, how every game was going, the game flow, the game script, um, were there dropped interceptions that didn't make it into the highlight reel that could have changed the game. And in watching, I've said this on a couple of podcasts and radio spots in watching Jalen hurts, who you mentioned earlier, and especially Mac Jones in that article, if you go back and look and I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm going to run it again this year, every Tuesday at CBS sports, I would uh, break up each quarterback's performance into best throws and worst throws. And it was really just like, really good throws or really bad throws, and then do a summary of you know everything in between. It was hard to find best throws and bad throws for Mac Jones and Jalen Hurts. Everything seemed schemed for them. A bubble screen, an RPO, uh, a screen to a running back, uh, a shot play that was predetermined before the snap. It was like, where are the big-time throws where are the threaded needles uh, in that cover two hole uh, by the sideline? I just barely ever saw those from Mac Jones, and I definitely get a lot wrong when it comes to quarterbacks. But when Mac Jones, I think the Patriots were on like a six or a seven game winning streak, and he was like the favorite for the offensive rookie of the year, 
And I saw coming up on their schedule at Indianapolis and at Buffalo. I think I wrote it in the article. I was like, these next two games, we will see that Mac Jones is not the already in or should not already be the anointed offensive rookie of the year. Those are two good defenses. He's going to have to make some difficult throws. And I don't think he's ready to do that yet. Did not play well against the Colts. They lost that game through a couple interceptions. And then there's the weird uh, win game against the Bills where Bill Belichick was like, you're not going to throw the ball. I mean, that's the you know infamous game there where he threw, what, two passes. So I think, and then after that, Mac Jones kind of fizzled down the stretch. And it's why he didn't win Offensive Rookie of the Year. So the statistics with him and Jalen Hurts are easy to fall in love with. But I really think in today's NFL, there's so much scheming open receivers. And I think a lot of the offensive play callers, uh, Josh McDaniels and Nick Sirianni, chief among them, Kyle Shanahan too, that do a great job making systems very easy for their quarterbacks and get them open throws, especially if you have good skill position talent, can get them open and just say, hey, you're going to complete 70% of your passes. We're going to lean on yards after the catch and that's it. But when it really comes down to it, late in the season and certainly in the playoffs, you need your quarterback to be able to make those big plays when the defense is perfect, where you can't scheme open a first read. And I think that's probably the biggest point why I'm a lot lower on Mac Jones going into year two. Is it a necessity at this point when it comes yes. to get a bucket, get a bucket quarterbacks? That was the big yes. question about Mac Jones. Cause I really said, I really think, I really believe that if 20, this was 20 years ago, Mac Jones would have been the number one overall pick. Yes. I really believe that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But defenses have gotten so good. And I was listening to the athletic football show not too long ago. And Ryan Mays was talking about a conversation he had with Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback from the San Francisco 49ers. And he was saying, hey, how is it that you can get explosive plays when the entire NFL now is designed to limit explosive plays? Like, how, how do you how do you continually get it? And he said, you got to get it from second, second reaction plays. You got to yeah. get them from second reaction plays. You got to have a quarterback who can go get a bucket. You got to have someone who can reset the pocket. You got to have someone who can break contain. You have to have someone who, if they hold the ball for three and a half seconds on a specific play, that's okay. You don't want to make yeah. a habit of it, but if you need to get a bucket, you can get a bucket because you're constantly seeing two high shells in the NFL now. You're constantly seeing variations of quarters in cover two. You're doing everything you can as a defense to limit explosive plays because there's a significant correlation between getting explosive plays and winning the tag on game. So yeah. having a quarterback who doesn't have that in them, who that, that's not who Mac Jones is. The, the most ardent Mac Jones supporters will not tell you that he is a go-get-you-a-bucket quarterback. And they'll point, well, there's Tom Brady. Okay, cool. So if you're banking on Mac Jones being the GOAT, then sure, by all means, let's go. Let's, let's make it happen. At this point, it almost seems like with Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, and you're looking at these quarterbacks who start to – rise up draft boards and end up being the first or second quarterbacks taken in the class. Kenny Pickett throwing on the move. It's one of the things Huge. that Kenny Pickett does the best. So yep. is it at this point, basically a necessity for a quarterback who's young and developing in the NFL to go get you a bucket? I think so. I mean, if you look around the league, the best quarterbacks, especially the ones under 30. Um, and really you could say you could throw uh, Russell Wilson in there too. Who's over 30. Those are the best quarterbacks in the league. That's the common characteristic that all of those quarterbacks have. That's the common thread between them. So I think right now in today's NFL, and, and it's constantly evolving, um, but right now the era that we're in that you mentioned, cover two shells, cover four shells, where everything is like keep it in front, let the offense ultimately make a mistake. Uh, bend, don't break is really the base defense or base defensive philosophy in today's NFL, yes, you need a quarterback that can do that. But I also think it doesn't necessarily just need to be from second reaction plays. And this is me, you know, not totally agreeing with an NFL player. So, and certainly Kyle Juszczyk knows more about offense than I do in the NFL. I think you need to be able to get a bucket from in the pocket. Like I said, when the defense is perfect and that's where Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, to a degree, Joe, or a, a pretty high degree, but not quite to the level. Joe Burrow is there too. And that comes from arm strength and precision. And when you have both of those, that's when you can have a cover four shell and you maybe don't have the perfect wide open wide receiver running down the seam uh, on four verticals, but your quarterback just says, Hey, I see that little window there, or it's starting to materialize. 
I'm going to fire a 65 mile per hour fastball right through coverage. And it's going to be a big play for the offense when the defense was ready for that play and designed to stop it. So when you combine both of those things, second reaction plays and just monster arm strength and precision from inside the pocket, that's where you get an elite quarterback. And Mac Jones just does not tick any of those boxes for me. So I want to talk about the Josh Allen effect. We talked about it a little bit when it came to Trey Lance and Kyle Shanahan getting carved up and going, hey, I need to get me one of those. A little, little bit of toy envy when you wake up on Christmas morning and your brother gets the thing that you really wanted. And then all of a sudden for your birthday, a month later, you end up getting it. Not that that's ever happened to me. I'm just saying. But I want to talk about the Josh Allen effect. And we know that Josh Allen's development has had a significant effect on fan bases. We know this. We know this. You see this all the time. Every single person who has a quarterback who comes out year one and doesn't play quite as well as they wanted him to, they'll say, wow, they were better than Josh Allen his rookie year. And every single team who is waiting on a year three breakout for their quarterback, yep, this is the year, year three, broke out. Josh Allen, look at look at Josh Allen. I want to ask you this, because I know that it affects fan bases. That's I mean, That's not even debatable. That would be a really, really short question. I'd be like, Chris, does it affect fan bases? You'd go, yes. Yeah. And that would be the yeah. end of the pod. We would just roll, just curtain close. That's it. My question is this. Do you think it's going to affect teams? Do you think teams are going to look at Josh Allen's development and go, you know, maybe we should have been a little bit more patient. Do you think that's going to trickle up to ownership? Because let's be honest, it has to trickle up to ownership. Because if it doesn't trickle up to ownership, it doesn't matter if the GM's patient, if the owner's not. So my question is, do you think it's going to start to bleed in to people's developments like Kenny Pickett? Like, I'm not going to say Matt Corral because I don't think Matt Corral is ever going to get a reasonable shot at the at the Carolina job based on the, the situation that he was drafted into and then getting Baker Mayfield and you have a, a lame duck coaching staff essentially in Carolina. So when you look at players like Desmond Ritter, when you look at players like Davis Mills, you look at players, people who, okay, maybe, maybe they weren't the highest drafted of prospects, but maybe we should give them time because, you know, stuff happens. People were yelling at the Bills for drafting Josh Allen, thinking he wasn't super high of a prospect. Look what happened to him. Do you think it's going to start to bleed into teams? My initial response would be yes, but I'm, I have a little reservation based on what just happened in the 2022 draft. The fact that Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter went in the third round and Ritter went ahead of Malik Willis really was confusing to me. And like as a draft analyst watching it unfold live, I'm doing draft grades, live draft grades for CBS Sports. And I'm like, how is Malik Willis still available? I That kind of makes me think that the league is still semi-reluctant to following the, the, the Josh Allen blueprint. And the one thing I, I would say about fan base is kind of being misguided and hey look you know our quarterback was better than Josh Allen was as a rookie the difference is what we just talked about Josh Allen's whatever his stat line was or however you wanted to view him as a fan of another team based on his rookie season he still had those hall of fame caliber tools that I don't really think any other quarterback that's entered the NFL has had since he was drafted so you can say, hey, look, you know, Zach Wilson's stats or whatever were better than Josh Allen's, but Zach Wilson doesn't have the tools uh, of Josh Allen. And, and, and that's why I think Brandon Bean picked Josh Allen. The one thing that I will say, too, is that I guess there's more than one thing. There's a couple of things you got to say about this, that Brandon Bean, I think, wasn't someone that was looking into the future and saying, oh, my God, I know for a fact that this guy is going to be the best quarterback from this draft class. I think he took a calculated risk that anyone watching Josh Allen at Wyoming, and I always go back to these games, the game against Iowa and the game against Oregon, he looked like a severe mm. long-term project, but Brandon Bean had a lot of faith in himself doing what a lot of things that you mentioned to isolate Josh Allen and bring in already developed veterans to help out Josh Allen during his development, not other players that were needing to be developed, young players, which is forever kind of been the course of action for teams. Hey, you have a quarterback, you have EJ Manuel. Well, why don't you draft Robert Woods? Why don't you draft Sammy Watkins when all those players are 
going through the rigors of becoming of going from a, a collegiate player to a college to a pro. Um, Brandon Bean had a plan around Josh Allen. And I think beyond just his tools, Josh Allen really put in a lot of work to bettering his accuracy and understanding footwork and his mechanics. And he really never got coached on a lot of those things at the collegiate level. So those are more of like the underlying factors when it comes to Josh Allen and who he has become today. I, I put a lot of it on Josh Allen himself. I, I respect the job that he has done to become the superstar quarterback that he is today. But like we always go back to the situation matters, having the right GM, understanding the type of players that you need to, to put around them. Um, so I think that is why some of the other fan bases just looking at stats and say, Hey, our quarterback was actually better than Josh Allen. So there's legitimate hope that our quarterback will become the next Josh Allen is misguided. But back to your original question, the fact that Malik Willis and, and Desmond Ritter, two quarterbacks that kind of stylistically, especially Willis seemed pretty similar to Josh Allen. The fact that the Bills had to trade up and pick Josh Allen at number seven overall. And Malik Willis was a third rounder. Desmond Ritter was a third rounder. I was confused. I was scratching my head and saying, you know what? These quarterbacks aren't perfect. They seem like guys, though, worth taking that calculated risk on if you're a team that maybe doesn't need a quarterback immediately, but maybe in year two or year three wants to have that guy that can get you a bucket, that can make those second reaction throws, can make those tight window throws on a regular basis more so than the other quarterbacks. And at that point by year two or year three, you have a good offensive coordinator that can scheme open some easy throws to get the completion percentage up to continue to move the chain. So I think in general, the league is looking for more of the Josh Allen, Justin Herbert type, but I don't think it's fully on board yet based on just that Malik Willis looked a lot like Josh Allen, smaller, but had a similar college career, similar traits, big time arm, super mobile. And he wasn't even the first or second quarterback picked. And, the entire league passed on him twice. He wasn't uh, selected until the third round gives me some reservations on how much the league is really bought into to me, what it seems clear in front of them. It's plain to see that that's the type of quarterback you need to win games and to win Super Bowls. You know, it's way too early for dunking, but I, I'm just going to say it was, it was Willis Ritter Pickett for me in that order. And then it was a huge gap. After those two players, that's how I had it. And that's I'm telling you, it. I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty confident. <laughs> I'm feeling, I'm feeling yeah. pretty good about it. We'll see how I mean, it looks, you know, year two. We'll come back. We'll come, we'll revisit this discussion and take our L's yeah. if we have to. Yeah. Mr. Trevasso, thank you so much for being here, man. 40 minutes. We did it. We did the thing. This is a long episode of the Bruce exclusive by now. Hopefully you will have forgotten everything that I talked about before the commercial break. And you have to go back and listen to it again because that matters. Um, before you get out of here, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you uh, touch a little bit on the scouting grade book again and where they can find your content. Well, first off, like I said, off the air, Bruce, thanks for having me on. This is like the official start of football season for me. I know we're well into the preseason, but I really like to take time off from podcasts and radio spots during the summer to be with the family uh, friends get to the golf course as much as possible. Now I feel ready. Like I I'm, we get the third preseason game where it's not going to be a very fun in terms of seeing starters, but now I feel like football season has been engaged in the Trapasso household that I've been on this podcast. You can find me at cbssports.com, uh, mostly NFL draft stuff, but also during the season, I do a lot of young player analysis, um, for the next three or four months until we get into draft season and the scouting gradebook is just the grading system that I created. I built it. I've used it for the last four draft classes um, to evaluate the entire draft class every single year. There are weighted skill and talent categories that are completely customizable for every position. Uh, it comes preloaded with over 300 prospects for the 2023 draft class. And the coolest part to me that that's helped me the most to organize my whole draft process as you are grading players, and you can use any grading scale you want, the big board builds itself on its own tab. So like in the first year that I was at CBS, I didn't have this. And I found it so hard to rank 300 players. Like how did I put a corner above a linebacker in the middle of the second round? Like it was very hard to do. Now I can point to specific numbers and I don't have to worry about any ranking. You can buy it today. Click the link in my bio on Twitter 
Uh, there's 25% off early bird special for you that want to dive into the draft super early. Last year, I sold a fair amount, a lot more after the new year when we were kind of in the NFL playoffs and senior bowl time. Uh, but yeah, you can get the scouting grade book in the link in my bio on Twitter. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. And if you were listening to this and thought, Bruce, that was way too darn long. I just, I, I cannot possibly listen to that whole thing. If well, I helped that missed out on this show. Well, then you know what? That's the way the cookie crumbles guys. I'm Bruce Nolan. Buffalo Rumble.